For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm your host, Brian Ferguson. Today, my guest is a pro wrestler, DJ, pro wrestling manager, and author. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Kenny Casanova. Thank you, sir, for coming on today. You forgot to mention swarthy handsome individual thank you i'll do that though you can do that thank you thank you thank you so let's talk about (laughs) your trademark facial expression oh this yes (laughs) how did that come about so all right so that's a long story and i've been doing it since 93 maybe Mm -hmm. 1993 or something so if you look at any pictures of mine after that, I almost always do it in every picture. Yeah. Uh, well, so so back when I was coming up with the character, um, I started as a wrestling, actually as a wrestler, but I chose wrestling manager over that because I figured I could move longer um, in that direction. Uh, we thought about video games. You know how video games, like when a guy's not moving, he has a stance. And yeah. my thought was is, well, uh, my guy should be a little bit afraid, a little bit, uh, you know, cowardly. So that is like a deer in headlights look, right? Yeah. And also, if you look, other wrestlers have used it in the past. Um, more scary type gimmicks. So picture Smash and Demolition. demolition Axe and yeah. Smash. Yeah. When, Axe is, when Smash says, tell him Axe, and Axe is like, I'm going to come and get you, Powers of Parian. And then you got Smash in the background going, like he was doing that face. So that was one thing I remember early on that some wrestlers made that face to try to either uh, mock the other wrestler or, you know, um, show some kind of fear. Um, I think another guy used to do it too. Uh, uh, you know, NWO would kind of go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too sweet. Like this too, I think. <laughs> background, they would do kind of like this while yeah. uh, the other guy was talking. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I just kind of took that and I said, I'm going to do it everywhere, though. I'm going to kill it. I'm, every shot, I'm going to do it in. And basically, there are very few without me doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's not. I mean, I've funny, seen... funny question. I don't think anyone's asked me that before, but they see it and they go, what the hell is that? Be that? <laughs> is it is it duck lips? And I'm not really going like I'm not really doing that now. Right, right. Yeah. yeah so cool question. <laughs> no, I, I just I was interested. Every most photos I see of you, you, you have that facial expression and and. <laughs> I, I just wanted to know. I've, I've, like I said earlier before we got on here, I watched a couple podcasts with you with other podcasters, and you got a lot yep. of interesting stories. But I didn't hear that question, so I was like, I'm going to ask that question. <laughs> there you go. 
That's good. All right. So let's talk a little bit uh, growing up uh, and getting into the business. Where did you grow up and, 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 and how did you get into, get into the business? So, okay. So my, I grew up in a lot of little places. I was born in Danville, Pennsylvania, moved over to Haverhill, Mass, moved to Fall River, Mass, moved to Binghamton, and then moved to Albany, New York. My dad was uh, a minister for the Salvation Army. Oh, and uh, uh, kind of like, a, you know, like a Baptist uh, type minister. And uh, they would move him around to wherever uh, the the actual officers is what they call them of the Salvation Army uh, did their best work. So he was really good at the Christmas, you know, the kettlebell ringing that you would see. Yeah. So um, he, he raised a lot of money for different areas. So they bumped him around where it needed it sometime. For me, it kind of sucked because it meant that I was in a bunch of different schools yeah. and meeting, you know, uh, new kids that I wanted to be my friends and I would have to do stuff to kind of stand out. So that's kind of maybe where I developed my sense of humor, you know, from mm -hmm. a class clown kind of situation, wanting to be known. Um, I was in, uh, was I in two, one, two, no, I was in three different high schools, which sucks. Oh. You know, you only have four years. So, yeah. um, you know, and also wasn't all that good with, with the ladies because as a kid, um, you know, you're a little bit shy and then being the new kid, putting that on top of it. So I think the Kenny Casanova character came out of the idea as I, you know, I'm not all that much of a ladies man at the, you know, at the time I was thinking of, you know, younger, um, but it would be funny to what if, uh, a, you know, a nerdy dude was. So um, <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. Um, in my, let me think, uh, uh, let's say 1987, I uh, had an opportunity to sell tickets and go to an after show with Captain Lou Albano for an independent wrestling show where he ripped off the promotion's name of WWWF. Um, it, it wasn't WWF early days, but he called yeah. it that. And it had all kinds of people there. It had Tony Atlas, uh, um, Colonel De Beers, Samoan SWAT team, Misty Blue, a lot of that era. Yeah. Um, and anyhow, I got to talking to him back in 88, and we were eating chicken wings together, and he's eating the knuckle, the bottom part off. off the, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, oh, man, you know, and he got a kick out of grossing me out, so we got to talking a little bit, and I thought it'd be neat to be a manager, you know, or maybe a wrestler, and um, come, I would say, six or seven years later, I was running a comic book store. One of the guys was going to go to uh, a training school, and I said, let me tag along with you, so that's how it kind of all started. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Captain Lou Albano. Yeah. <laughs> All started with him. I yeah, remember him as cool, a kid. Man. Yeah, he, he was yeah. a great, great manager. I don't know about you, yeah. but I think the managerial part of the business today is a lost art. Because the only one I really know is, you know, he's not, he's Paul Heyman and he's called yep. the advocate or. Yeah. You know, and it isn't really I think, you know, I, Vince doesn't like the name. He doesn't like the the word manager. So they always come up with something to call them, you know, associate or what have you. Uh, yeah. Vince, I think has always wanted his product to look not Memphis, even though he's, you know, it's kind of cartoony, but they didn't want that manager idea. And a lot of times, like even today, like it, he frowns upon guys coming in who sound Southern. Like I guess AJ side a little rough start because he thought he seemed too Southern, didn't want to be that wrestling is, is the thing that he, yeah. he tries to stay away from. So maybe that's why managers kind of get kicked to the wayside a little bit, I've thought. But 
Yeah, they were my favorite too. They were the mouthpiece. They were the instigators. Yeah. They were the oh, bad yeah. guys that created the good guys. So uh, yeah. that's the yeah. that's the route I wanted to go. Wow, that's good. So when you let's talk about you managing. You managed some guys uh, in the independents uh, that were well known uh, when they were in the big time, and they went down. They went to the indies. What was that like for you? Imagine like yeah. uh, Bundy. Uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, to get, yeah. I mean, who, you, I mean, did you have a lot of interaction? I mean, did you guys go over? I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to trip this guy. So, I mean, gonna... I guess. Yeah, I'd like to say that uh, I got, I got to manage a lot of the guys coming up and a lot of the guys coming down. The people who kind of left the promotion, you know, the big stuff, New York, yeah. WCW. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It froze yeah. for a second there. Um, yeah. So, and the good thing about getting to work with your heroes, you know, you finally get to meet them, get to hang out with them a little bit, see what they're like. Mm-hmm. Um, they had already had rough, uh, you know, schedules and now it's a little bit lighter in the independence. So when they could take advantage of not having to kill themselves, the manager could step in and do the bumps and do some of the crazy stuff and take some of the heat off of them. So yeah. getting to work with some of what you would call the legends or like the old timers, um, yeah. was pretty neat because, they would figure out a way uh, to show uh, themselves still shining, but using, you know, that extra added prop, which would be me. Yeah. And um, uh, quite often I would get a lot of extra spotlight too, because yeah. uh, I was willing to drive back then. A lot of, a lot of guys would just do one little independent in the mid nineties and that was it. They'd stay in the area, but I jumped around and did a bunch of stuff. So I would become familiar with a lot of, uh, you know, the, the classic wrestlers that we grew yeah. up with and, um, they give me more spots, and they also taught me a lot of stuff. So um, I learned a lot about the entertainment world. Yeah, let's um, talk. Working with them, let's kind of expand on that if we can. You, you talk about traveling and uh, driving. I mean, I, I'm assuming you drove those guys uh, to their shows, or and, and probably not talked. always. Not always. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah, and not always. Sometimes, a lot of times, if uh, I was close to the promoter, the promoter would ask me to grab them if they were on the way from somewhere here or there. So I rode with a lot of different people, but yeah. um, in many occasions, I was driving up with other uh, local talents from my area that were more, um, you know, mid Carter kind of status. Yeah. So, do you have any an outlandish story? Am that I locking like up on you there? A little feels, bit. That's okay. That's all right. It comes and goes. I don't know if it's on my and yours. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Weird. Yeah. Uh, weird story. Yeah, like, it's just uh, an outlandish like, one or something. Just something that, that just pops in your mind. Let me think. Um, I don't know. Maybe hanging out with Eddie Guerrero in the mall and uh, people coming up to him and, and you know, uh, uh, recognizing him after he left wwe at the time and we went to um uh wwa was a promotion in massachusetts by ran by a guy named mike sparta who was uh the brother of a referee named freddie sparta old referee in wwf um they were kind of using that area for um uh you know like a testing ground and Mm -hmm. i think they sent eddie over to sparta's promotion um, to give him some work while he was, uh, I don't know, maybe he failed a drug test or something. He was gone for a quick, short um, 
handful of months. Yeah. Uh, Tom Pritchard was was backstage as the one of the agents. Sal Sincere was one of the bookers. Um, and uh, I'm hanging out with Eddie and we're driving around with him, you know, and he's he, he would get a bunch of chicken and look at it and say, oh, this is fatty. I'm really picky. I can't eat it, you know, and um, I realized, you know, how important diet with some of these guys that are, you know, super lean and yeah. um, really TV ready. And uh, I just remember him doing Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair impersonations of the back of my car <laughs> when we were driving and he was getting a kick out of just trying to like, uh, you know, pop the other couple of guys that were in the car with me. Yeah. And, um, and when we got out of the car, Eddie, let me take your bags, brother. And he was taking the bags for us. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it was a rib on us or <laughs> he was just showing for the um, that's kind of a funny story I haven't told before in here. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Hey, let's talk a little bit about um, Kendra Casanova. The gig you did as the ladies. Jeez, um, you're really getting into my past. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw it on there. I was like, I did... is this right? <laughs> <laughs> handful of times um, I'd get booked to wrestle women as a joke. It's almost like the uh, Andy Kaufman kind of yeah. thing. Uh, and I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to show up and rather than just totally bury Kenny Casanova, I'll say, Hey, it ain't even me. It's Kendra Casanova. It's my yeah. sister. Later on, many years later, they did something similar with Santino. I don't know if you remember that. He did. I don't know if her name was Santina or whatever, (laughs) but he kind of came out and dragged and wrestled. It was a similar type thing. Um, But yeah, I I did the whole, and I left the goatee, so you could definitely see this this is a bunch of crap. I wore, um, I think, my wife's um, prom dress. It was like a green, ugly prom dress with like a little yellow shirt underneath. It was pretty, pretty ugly, hideous thing, and uh, uh the the promoters got a kick out of it i got a number of ladies championship title runs that's a, yeah so, you, you won a couple titles if i if i remember correctly yeah yeah yep i beat uh misty hyatt uh miss patricia who was like kind of like a valet for the blue meanie uh miss deville she's a good friend of mine she's got a book coming out soon Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, number of different people, so yeah, it was it was kind of a funny thing. Yeah. When <laughs> I, I was read trained that... to wrestle, yeah, you know, so I could do it. But um, again, I like doing the managing stuff. Um, uh, at five eleven, I'm kind of big, but I'm not, you know, giant. So I always figured, yeah, I looked better next to some of the big guys back then. These days, that doesn't even apply as much because they're all different sizes, and yeah. most of a lot of the guys end up being smaller than me these days, which I think is kind of funny, but. Yeah, just how things turned out eventually once cruiserweights kind of got pushed in WCW and Lucha and all. Yeah, you know, on American television. But yeah, which promotion did you like working for 
the best. I mean, as far as treating you, uh, giving you opportunities, uh, was there any particular one that you're like, you know, I really enjoyed working for. So other than ones that I had my hand in promoting, because I also helped to promote a lot for, okay. uh, uh, promotion called new breed wrestling upstate New York. And also kind of a sister promotion to that world of hurt wrestling. Um, those, I mean, I kind of had my hands in the writing and stuff in the back too. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I would say Frank Goodman was pretty, uh, he's now in Florida, but he was New York city called USA power pro wrestling. Um, he used to put me in with a bunch of different guys. I got to work with King Kong Bundy, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. Rocco rock there, um, a number of different people, uh, Jake, the snake Roberts, um, a lot of big names and stuff. We was getting a pretty good, uh, opportunity there so um yeah. i guess him all right uh let's talk about your djing a little bit uh what is uh, what do you do okay. for that i mean do you do weddings do you do shows do you do clubs or what, yeah what uh okay so let's see i guess a good way to uh transition the character into djing um would be to show the evolution of that. So uh, again, I was kind of a nerdy uh, kind of character, tried to dress like a lounge lizard that eventually turned into, <laughs> um, hey, why don't you sing some karaoke after the show? Then I worked that into my gimmick. So I started singing karaoke and I'd sing uh, karaoke tracks along the karaoke tracks uh, as I brought a wrestler to the ring, you know, and I would pick the worst stuff possible, like Britney Spears you know, like Madonna, stuff that a guy would not like, you know, do well with singing no matter what. Yeah. And I would get more heat that way. Uh, so eventually then people would say, Hey, can you come do karaoke at my party? We'll book you for that. So I hooked up with one of the sound guys. And for a short time, we figured out how to do karaoke. Then I got a bar gig. Then the bar gig turned into, Hey, can you DJ my wedding? And it, it actually pulled me out of the sport because as a wrestling manager, you know, making a couple hundred bucks, that was never the huge talent. Yeah. Um, a couple yeah. hundred bucks at most, sometimes $50, sometimes a hot dog and a handshake, you know. Uh, but then when you start DJing a wedding, you're making a thousand dollars. And there are all those weddings are on the same dates as these events. So uh, that pulled me into DJing. And then many, many Saturdays, I'd start taking those gigs instead of wrestling because it just paid really well. Yeah, And to get back into wrestling, then that would transition me over into how I became a writer, uh, you know, writing the books. So it all kind of, there's a, there's a semblance of order to how it progressed. Yeah. You know, it went from wrestler into wrestler that sings karaoke, uh, manager kind of thing into uh, wedding DJ and doing school events and, you know, even sporting events and stuff, but not really available for wrestling shows. Mm-hmm. And then saying, geez, I want to still have my hand in the business a little bit. And then I start talking to some of the old wrestlers again that I had worked with and offer yeah. book deals and stuff to help out. So. All right. Well, I got another, another thing. I, I also <laughs> know, understand what, when I watched that podcast earlier that you're a, a English teacher. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's always good to have, I always say, you know, a backup. Yeah. Right. And my black plan was um, to be an English teacher. You know, I had an interest in writing. Uh, I was pretty creative Uh, uh, back in high school. I did pretty well in English classes. So I think what turned me on to the idea is one time uh, an English teacher bought a bunch of jazz 
artists in for us to write poetry over the music too. And we had like this little event mm-hmm. and to see something that I had written performed by others was something I found pretty rewarding and pretty cool. So, um, and you can also see how that might relate to the wrestling and the DJing and, and everything, you know, the creativity yeah. side of things. So um, all along, I've always stayed an English teacher and that paid the bills better than, um, you know, weekend warrior type stuff. Um, then again, I mean, I had, I had little options where maybe I could have really pursued doing the wrestling thing, but it was so risky that I said, uh, if that ever comes and I go to work, you know, for like, um, WWE or something like that, it would have to be an offer that would surpass what I'm doing now. And then, you know, eventually it moved to like, you had to move to Florida and really like, um, you know, up everything and i wasn't willing to do that so that's why uh the other things kind of i did pretty well with that stuff who knows if i went the other way and really pushed for it i probably could have gotten a couple of years but like you said vince isn't a big fan of the thing that that, um i did so (laughs) yeah no i i understand that um Writing. So you've written some books, some good ones. Uh, what is cool. Thank it? you. With uh, Tito Santana, uh, Sabu, uh, Kamala. Uh, there's some others. Uh, sure. How? For how did you get a hold of these guys? I mean, was it was it difficult <laughs> to say to get a hold of them? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes uh, reaching out to some of these wrestlers it's, it's, it's a challenge. They, uh, especially, you know, I don't have a lot of contact. I have to use so, uh, social media. Right. Yeah. Go I ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't interrupt you there. No, it broke up a little bit. So I wasn't sure if you were done or not. Okay. Once in a while I'm getting these flags. So, yeah. um, but anyhow, the, um, the funny thing with that was, um, you know, I expect to do it. I had a, a sci-fi book that I was working on uh, called Tag, kind of like um, you have to go uh, into a time loop. You're, uh, you have to go in the past, find yourself and touch yourself to jump back in the same time loop. It was, it was kind of a neat idea, um, but I was quickly learning that when people invest in you as a writer, um, you don't make as many sales. You don't get many, as many eyes um, unless you already have an established audience for that. Yeah. So um, to do nonfiction, you're going to sell a whole heck of a lot more uh, copies because there's a built-in audience, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if I was going to write sci-fi, people would have to already want to buy the Kenny Casanova sci-fi work, and they don't know what it is, so they don't invest. But if they um, if they know who Big Van Vader is, or they know who Danny Davis, the evil ref from WrestleMania three, is, there's a little yeah. bit of a built-in audience there already, and right. wrestling fans are super loyal, as yep. you know. That's probably why people miss right now you know um if they are so um being able to write that nonfiction made sense to me so i i put that that sci-fi book aside when i heard that kamala who i played kimchi for a number of times in the northeast um had lost yeah uh he had lost both of his legs to diabetes and i said Uh. hey man uh, you know this is horrible maybe we could just write a you know your book and put it out and you can use it to help with medical costs and and he said, Kenny, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, <laughs> it's like, but uh, these days, you know, uh, there's a lot. I've been screwed over by a lot of people. I don't know if people know that's Kamala's like 
I didn't know that until right now. So yeah, a lot of people look look at Kamal and think he's you know uh, uh, you know a big angry um, you know crazy guy from yeah. Uganda. Uganda, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, um, he kind of talks slow, probably even slower than that, more like in there. And he's from <laughs> Mississippi, right? He was located uh, Mississippi and did a lot of Memphis stuff. Jerry the King Lawler helped him come up with the gimmick, but. Anyhow, so I, I told him that. He said, well, been screwed by a lot of promoters, so I want you to talk to who I would consider my financial advisor. And I'm like, all right, I'll give the guy a call and see what he thinks. And I call it up, and it's the Birdman, Coco Beware. And Birdman's oh, wow. like, oh, Kenny, you should do a good job for Kamala. I think you do a good job. Just put a little high <laughs> energy into that book, and we'll do fine. You know? But treat him like he's somebody's grandfather because he is, and don't screw him over and I, I said, all right, man, let's write the book. And uh, this will be my first one. So I'm just going to give them all the money. and We'll make it a fundraiser. And it did pretty yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Um, I would say it's probably not my best writing because here, 400 pages times maybe seven books later, I've gotten mm. better at writing, yeah. you know, uh, and I can write a book quicker, I think. Uh, these guys be these days when the guys are on board uh, did yeah. really well and that kind of kick started me off with uh you know the writing i was gonna tell you uh, i also heard on another one that you you wrote two books at the same time and i, I don't know how you did that because i if it was me i'd be getting confused on one book from the other as far as the characters and getting lost and yeah trying to remember stuff how, i mean how the heck did you do that well, uh I'm writing three at the same time now, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and I also have three and I also have three others that I'm kind of producing. So there's actually kind of six in the works right now. Um, but uh, the reason two came out at the same time before was that I was, I was working on big van Vader's mm-hmm. and, um, he got diagnosed. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Rest right. in peace. Yeah. Um, he got a, a diagnosis of two years to live because of congestive heart disorder. And, um, we were kind of on and off and going back and fixing it up. And we had to change a big part of his book after we were about half done or more. And he got that diagnosis because he wanted to change some of the tone of the book. You don't want to, um, clean it up. You don't want to crap all over a guy, you right. know, that maybe you weren't friendly with that didn't close ties with, um, you know, or have some kind of closure with and put that in your book and then pass away and never have been able to fix something like that so we went back and cleaned up some stuff uh, some areas that you know uh he thought if this comes out post-mortem um you know uh, i would never be able to fix some kind of heat you know so i was going back and fixing that up and vader himself is difficult to work with and everybody in, including um himself would tell you that would tell you that um so like that took four years to, to write oh, wow. um and and as that, he would call, he would say, hey, you know, a couple of times I'd be like, geez, I haven't talked to him in six months. You know, I'm still writing and doing a little research here and there. I would check in on him and, and I'd, I'd freak out a little bit. I'm like, dude, are we still like doing this book or what? <laughs> he'd come back and say, listen, we'll get it done. It's like, brother, we'll get it done. He's like, but if I go dark, I go dark. He's like, just let me go dark for a while. We'll get it done. I'm like, all right. And he did. We got it done. Yeah. Um, you know, but in the meanwhile, I was writing another one. That's when I was writing Sabu. And those two books, um, I guess, uh, I don't know if you know him. Kevin Gill was a, 
uh, co-host of the Keeping It 100 podcast, and he's done some commentary for a number of different promotions. Um, mm-hmm. He's the he was the promoter for a long time for ICP's wrestling Juggalos. Um, he put it over funny. I hadn't thought of it before. It's like Kenny Casanova dropped two books at the same time. It's like you know uh, musicians do that with albums. It's like, but I've never seen two books come out. Uh, he's right. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, we put Sabu and Big Big Van Vader out, and that was competition for myself to some degree, yeah. but. Um, yeah. I guess that's kind of neat, you know. Yeah, it <laughs> is. That is different. neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was uh, you have several books? What was the uh, the one that you found most interesting and most? Uh, not, I wouldn't say easy to write, but most that you could write with. You know, I guess. Yeah. Pleasure. Uh, I like the Danny Davis book. Yeah, I think I like the Danny Davis book because. Um, I wrote that one differently. We wrote that with taking his life and making it into a uh, more of like a young adult novel, more so okay. than an autobiography. So there's yeah. a clear message. There's a clear beginning, middle and end. It follows a character arc. Um, what we did was we picked out all these different occurrences that happened throughout his life and we cut out stuff that didn't fit um, the narrative of a, um, of a novel. You know, right. uh, I wanted I wanted to climb. I wanted to have a, a clear climax. I wanted to to be somewhat of a hero journey. The mm-hmm. message we wanted to put in that was through uh, um, hard work, um, a good work ethic. Uh, you can make something of yourself, um, and you know when to stop. And all of that um, seemed to work out pretty well in the book. It's not the most popular book that I put out. Um, and it's yeah. not the longest book that I put out. It was, mm-hmm. I think it's the shortest one. It's probably. It's about 250 pages where most of my stuff I shoot for 400 plus. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like the message and I like the idea of being able to write more. If, I, I don't want to call it fiction, but the way we wrote it, it's mm-hmm. sort of fiction, you know, um, yeah. in that we wanted it to look like a, a story. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I remember old, uh, Danny Davis, the ref, when I was yeah, you know, young guy, <laughs> younger guy. Uh, oh, he had a lot of heat for a short time. He oh, yeah, he about. was. Oh, yeah, they yeah. he talked, he, yeah. you know, he got a lot of heat. And uh, yeah, that was where the good times. That's I wanted to talk to you about that wrestling today versus when like we were kids and yeah. watching it. Uh, to me, I see a huge difference uh i don't what what is your take on it what 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 are the things that you think maybe uh, i guess the word lacking if you watch it i don't know if you even watch it anymore or yeah something. no i i try I'm, i've been watching more AEW, and i yeah and, and it and there's a couple of reasons for that um but okay so the two things that i think wwe are lacking now not that i'm uh an expert but one, it's too freaking much programming. Mm-hmm. I think one key that would help, and they'll never do it because of all of those commercials they can sell during, you know, three plus two plus one or two, whatever it is, hours a week. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. man, if they could cut that back down to, you know, one or two good hours and uh, then maybe, you know, how they used to do the magazine programs in the weekend, you know, showing some of the house shows and stuff in this to, to really pro- to promote one big show. Yeah. Um, you know, during the week. Um, oops, hold on here. I got a call coming in during an interview. <laughs> Let's see if I can. 
there we go. Okay, so um, that's weird. I haven't had that happen before. But then again, I don't usually do on the phone here. Uh, but yeah, that's one thing. They got to cut programming. There's too much. And yeah. that would also probably help the quality because you, you know if you've got all of this time to fill that you're putting some stuff in there that's not quality. You have to. It's watered down, right? The yeah. other thing is, is I think they're afraid to make one name surpass the brand. They're pushing yeah. the brand. They want WWE to be the big thing that everyone pays for, not Hulk Hogan, not John Cena, not Undertaker, not a marquee name. They've even said this, I think, in, in investor interviews, that they don't want to create a new Stone Cold Austin or a new Rock. They have to pay big money and then see their investment go out the door when he leaves. You yeah. know, But if you think about it, by not creating that big name, there's not one reason to turn in um, there's just a bunch of little smaller reasons to tune in every week. Yeah. And whenever they have these big events, they're relying on these guys that are pushed past their prime. Now they're calling back Goldberg. Yes. Who, um, yes. Who, uh, you know, who is no longer, uh, you know, a young guy that can do all the stuff that he used to do, or they called back the undertaker for many years. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I'd say just take one guy and push him to the moon. And uh, when you got that new star again, because they knew how to do it back in the day, and I'm sure they could use that formula, um, maybe they'd create a reason and a new star, you know, and if he leaves, he leaves and create a new one. I, I don't agree with the way that they write it these days. And a lot of it probably has to do with ego and stuff. So um, yeah. I don't know. I, I agree. It's there's not a lot of storytelling anymore. They don't build up a, right. a wrestler. They, they, cause they have, a pay-per-view every month you can't really yep. to me build up somebody and then say you know in a month oh yeah you're gonna wrestle so and so and then it kind of dies yeah. off it's kind of right. a lost it's a lost art to me as well so i yeah. i agree with you 100 and i watch AEW, um and i think it's a good alternate i don't watch yeah. wwe too much anymore it's just uh getting to yeah. cartoonish and, and uh commercial uh for me i mean i watch it once in a while but um so you got a lot of you're juggling a lot of things right now from what i've understand uh you know you're writing a book uh some books you're a teacher you got a family I, I, how do you juggle all that because <laughs> that's a, a lot of stuff it's tough. And, you know, sometimes I get, uh, I'd say, I don't want to say that, like, uh, there's anything to worry about, it, but I get a little bit like anxiety. Like I can't finish all of this stuff all at once. And it bothers me. Yeah. You know, right now I'm working on uh, finishing up Justin Credible's book, which should yeah. be pretty cool because it does Aldo, the member um, of the click for a bit you know so it's got a lot of that stuff in it um mm -hmm. you know so but sometimes um and i think any author will tell you this once you get to doing hitting these guys up with a lot of interviews come your 20th or your 30th interview it's kind of like pulling teeth and you're asking stuff um you know that is just maybe not super interesting um yeah. at some point so uh it, it, some things left on so that's why maybe we get off to the side then i start um odbs from uh you know from impact uh, yeah the, the, 
female wrestler. Yeah. I'm working on her book because Mick Foley asked me as a favor. He's like, I wrote forwards for your book. Can you write her book? Yeah. And I'm like, yes. Okay. Yeah. She wasn't really my first pick, but um, she's got a story and it's pretty cool. You know, so I'm working on that and I'm also working on the good brothers book. Okay. Uh, you know, Luke Gallows and yeah. uh, Carl Anderson. Carl I got to say Gallows is a mind for the business, man. He's yeah. Yeah. Luke Gallows is super smart. You know, he's handling yeah. most of the book stuff with me right now. Yeah. We haven't talked in a couple of weeks, you know, and I start getting a little bit antsy, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. hard. it is tough to juggle all this stuff. Um, at the yeah. same time, the last two years I've been trying to help um, a guy named uh, Kirk Bushner put out Chavo Guerrero seniors book and it's oh, about okay. done. Um, also, helping um a guy that did a ton of comic book stuff a guy named john kraut i'm helping him with a knob of his first autobiography buddy um also uh a couple side projects ken patera's book uh curtis hughes book yeah. um yeah and uh another guy herb abrams um it's not for herb abrams because obviously he's gone but i'm helping yeah. him right uh helping him with his first um, book. So yeah. it's tough, you know, and I, I might not talk to a couple of these guys for two or three weeks. And yeah. I get, I sort of get nervous because I'm yeah. trying to help the project along. Yeah. You know? So it, it's yeah. a lot of stuff, but in the end, it's super cool to see this stuff finally yeah. come out. Um, it's rewarding. So yeah. Ken Patera, I did a podcast with him uh, about three months ago. And that guy, he he is such a wealth of knowledge and experience and, um, you know, great guy, uh, had a lot of interesting conversations with him and that book, that book, I know because you do it right. I know it'll be a dang good book and I'll be looking for it when it's, when it's published. And that's the thing. We got a newer guy working on it. His name is Simon Gregory. And um, he doesn't write as fast as me. So, like, I, you know, if he's if he hears anything, I'm like, get, get to writing that book, man. I mean, he's got probably <laughs> 50 to 75 pages. But it, it's taken him a year and a half or so. I think he started, you know, working on it. So uh, You'd be done with it Hopefully he gets some more done and we get that come out. Yeah, I probably would. Usually <laughs> about a year or so I try to get stuff yeah. round up. But. Yeah. I try anyways, but all right. Are there any projects, yeah. other things you're working on right now? I mean, I, I got, got a lot of coloring books that we put out. A guy named Peter Bregman. Uh, uh, our collaborative effort is called Bled Time Stories, sort of like yeah. bedtime stories, but bled, bleeding. Yeah. And uh, we, we have a Cactus Jack one. It's called Cactus Jack and the Beanstalk. We got Demolition cool. on Mars. Um, we have uh, Sabu versus the Three Pigs. And now we have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, basically the idea is it's a coloring book, uh, sort of like a comic book, um, and it's it pits the wrestlers versus fairy tales, or like yeah. kind of like uh, you know bedtime stories. Uh, yeah. So then the newest one we just um, finished writing and we're putting the art to now is called Goodzilla, and it's the Good Brothers, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson fighting Godzilla, but. Uh, a good Zilla version. <laughs> yeah. sense, you, you talked about Luke Gallows a little bit earlier. Uh, I don't know. Do you know Matt Davis? Uh, Davis. Yeah. He's a, he's not in Georgia. He's a, he works with Bill after and them. And anyway, I had a podcast oh. with him about a week ago. Yeah, no, I do know. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Bald know guy yeah, goatee. Uh, yeah. He does stuff with, with Luke. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah, had yeah. an interview with Luke. Yeah. Um, and you were right. I mean, the guy was just cool. 
spitting off a bunch of stuff about wrestling that, you know, his character, you'd think, yeah, you know, there ain't no way, but you know, Oh yeah. He, he's very, well, that was very, the problem. Like, the first 20 pages I wrote for. Yeah. yeah. No, the first 20 pages I wrote for him or so I tried to write in his voice. That's a big part of ghostwriting is you try to make it sound like what you believe they would sound like. Yeah. And it was all his voice that I knew from interviews. So, you know, no, uh, you, you know, a lot of carny talk, a lot of you know, yeah. uh, kind of stereotypical character. And he said, "That's not really me." You know, he's like, "That's what you <laughs> see of me on TV." So we had to go back and touch it up because he didn't want to be looked at as the uh, the carny wrestler that you know yeah. um, is using all that lingo everywhere. So uh, had to draft redraft, but <laughs> hey, it'll be worth it in the end. So. Well, I appreciate your time today. Yeah, it'll be cool. And I'll be looking for those books coming out. And thank you so much for coming on here. I know you're a busy man. And um, folks, look for Kenny Casanova's books, his his, uh, coloring books coming out, and, and everything else. Kenny, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Bill Apter has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill Apter's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was a hell of a champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Actor, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do with this? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history.